I think it's really great to have conviction and say, I'm looking for this tight range of money. This is what we're going to do with it over this amount of time. And if you're just really clear about what you're going to do with it, that comes across way better. Hey, this is Gareth Webb, and you're listening to Breakout, a show that cuts through the hiring noise. Here, you'll get an unfiltered view on what early and growth stage companies are doing so that you can take their best practices, processes, and frameworks and implement them to help you build teams more confidently. Here we have Monica Driscoll from Silicon Valley Bank on the Breakout Podcast. How are you doing, Monica? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really anticipating this. Yes, I think anticipation is a good word. I think just so everybody knows, we actually, you know, in full transparency, we recorded this within March in Like March 7th or something, just days before much has changed, much changed. Much changed, yeah. So we we recorded an incredible podcast. <laughs> Such a shame because I'm sure you'll be fine, but you were very much on form. And <laughs> I think we decided it was not the time or the, or the kind of headspace to release the material and so yeah look that was a wild time it's been a wild year i'm very pleased that things have turned around in a positive way for you and for silicon valley bank we've seen lots of very good activity in the press and on linkedin yeah i think you know we don't need to go into that i think everybody knows kind of what happened but i think just for the sake of the conversation and people listening who probably don't necessarily follow you guys as much as i do yeah do you want to sort of explain the last few months and the kind of journey that's happened and where you guys sit now? Because I think that's important to relay to the technology community. Yeah. So it's a, it's interesting. A lot of people saw it on the news for a lot of it there. And then, of course, it's not, it doesn't maintain itself on the headlines. So not many people know the update. But we had a very unprecedented run on the bank on March 9th specifically, not due to anything wrong with the SVB business model, but someone at the top that we had a mismanagement uh, of just SVB risk allocation. And so after that rumor kind of spread there, and then we had a run on the bank and that caused SVB to collapse. And we were then left a little bit to our own devices for a couple of weeks there to trying to figure out what would happen. And we got a bunch of bids to purchase the bank. And we ended up being acquired by First Citizens Bank, which I'll be honest with you, was not a bank that was on top, you know, top of mind for me. It was not what I thought would happen. No. But they they were a really great offer because they offered to buy the private bank and the commercial bank together. And the really cool thing about SVB that I think we we failed to talk about enough is that we have a really great private bank for founders and investors who maybe have much of their assets tied up in private equity. And so you can get a mortgage, you can get other loans. And so some people have their whole suite held at SVB. And so it was really important that we keep the private bank together. We work really closely with our private bankers. I had founders say to me like, oh, in the midst of all this, I'm also buying a house. And I'm like, you might want to talk to our people. They know they know what it's like. And not many people do. <laughs> not many people do know. What it's yeah. Like, I'm no founder, but I do have colleagues that focus on that a lot. So anyway, I dig this. Yeah. But we got acquired by First Citizens. I was hanging out like bated breath to see if we were going to keep the SVB name and brand because I have only ever worked at SVB. I've been at SVB coming up on six years. It's a really important, yeah. important brand to me that I've spent years building. And we we have kept it off. We haven't changed much. If anything, we've expanded the offering now that we sit on this super large, longstanding traditional bank's balance sheet. We get to be this 
innovator, there's a growth engine, and keep everything that was working before, which was pretty much everything. But now we get to expand and offer our services to just a broader array and also earlier and earlier stage startups, which by way of introduction, I work on SVB's startup banking team, which specifically focuses on pre-Series A companies. So it's really important to me that we get all of our products more available to the early stage as time goes on. As we expand, as we become more and more able to use to expand our resources, I try my best to get all of the SVB suite available from the day that you start your startup. Yeah, I can vouch for that. Um, full transparency, we don't bank with SVB out scout, but perhaps one day yourself and Dax. Yes, hopefully one day. Working on it. Yes. We're working on it. One day. <laughs> we're working on it. We're playing the long game. But yeah, yourself and Dax have been incredibly helpful. I'd say very accessible, which I think people don't believe to be the case a lot of the time with bankers. You, you guys definitely are harnessing the the sense of community that Austin's very good at. And I think some of the VCs are doing that, obviously some incubators, but I think as a bank, you know, you're not sat in ivory towers, you're out, um, <laughs> you know, building social circles. As, and if anything, like those things are just immeasurable beyond the financial products. So yeah, I think I've seen it and heard it with other companies that we support and they bank with SVB. And I think it, it was just a very unfortunate chain of events and i'm very glad to see that things are, are going well again within the new home let's talk about this year like this that chapter is done like you guys have a new home everything is good but the, the, the technology market within the us was fragile anyway yeah. right going through 2022 march 23 really kind of shook things it, the the year has been very tough for technology companies more so later stage private pre-IPO, I guess, the public, like the newly IPO'd technology market uh, products and companies have not fared quite as well either necessarily. Um, what, how do you summarize Q2 and Q3 this year within the technology landscape? Um, I think I would say that there's been a bit of a flight to safety. So I've, I've noticed that, well, let me put it this way. Whenever there's a crunch, we all know that tends to be the later stage company and raises companies and raises that feel it the quickest. And then it moves earlier and earlier stage. So the drying up of raises and dry powder that's happened, it's many people think that it's kind of done with the later stage. It's not going to get much worse. At the early stage, like the C rounds, it's still making its way through. We're still seeing raises. It's still slowing. There may be more slowing to happen. But across the board, I can say just from my experience, and I'm not a researcher, but we have a really great SVB research team. From my just general experience, I've noticed in times like this, especially near the flight to safety, a flight to B2B SaaS, consumer companies um, are feeling it a lot more. CPG tends to have a little bit more of a buffer, but consumer tech, especially ones that rely on users, those are the ones that I'm seeing the most need for a pivot right now. Yeah, I would say we've, We've seen a couple of things that would echo there. So you're saying like consumer see like the end flight to safety, meaning that investment is going on at B2B SaaS, less so consumer goods, consumer yeah, technology. I, I've noticed. And also I have to admit that I my viewpoint is skewed towards Texas. I've spent no. much of my career in Texas and it can have a little bit more of a traditional, sometimes more of a traditional way of thinking than maybe San Francisco. But a lot of the Texas VCs and 
investors, I would say that they're always excited for an introduction to a B2B SaaS company just because of the customers. It's a blue chip customer or you have a great stable customer base and also recurring revenues. That is just like a formula for a safer bet. Yeah, for sure. Everybody wants to see revenue stretching out and less volatility. And I think the consumer behavior is so fickle these days, right? The things can change and it's kind of winner takes all market. Okay. Yeah. We've seen, I'd echo that. We've seen a lot less demand for growth from consumer e-commerce type businesses that we were seeing in the previous years, probably like the kind of post pandemic effect, healthcare technology, security, compliance technologies, all kind of being more flavor of the month, definitely a bit of a hit around HR tech, no surprise, collaboration software, work, like any kind of workflow yeah. efficiency software. I think CFOs just come in and slash those budgets. Sure, what have you seen there in terms of net new funding? Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to steal the conversation away, but I noticed that you shared with me this job market data byte stating that there's been an unprecedented US labor market tightness, which I love your take on because I always heard that leading up, pretty much leading up to this March, this past March, we were pulling all the levers in our economy, but still there was not a tightness in the labor market. So as much as it, it's painful to feel, is that not at least a, a good sign that the cycle is moving onward, it's continuing, and maybe there'll be an uptick more sooner than later? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in the last, this is kind of not a data to get excited about, but... <laughs> Yes, because it's too soon. But like in the last six weeks, we've seen an uptick in new customers wanting to hire, net new positions go live for... um, You opened positions as well. And sorry to cut you off there, but that was the biggest triumph ever, opening three new job roles at SVB last week. And then to see the amount of people that applied and the caliber of people, I mean, that was such a, that was such a great feeling, I have to say. Yeah, I think it's very nice to see companies kind of, uh, I think that there's a danger, it's a bit, I don't want to go back to it too much, but the hu- human, they have this capability, uh, it's not positive capability, but I guess now with kind of the way we work with micro trends and social media, we are herding beasts, we we move in directions similar to each other, and that's what's happened, that's what happened with SVB, frankly, like with the social media frenzy, it's what's happened with the uh, technology sector in general, like, you know, the dominoes start to fall when people make layoffs and everybody thinks everybody's got to make layoffs and it's this cascading effect. The same is for the upcycle. I just hope it's kind of a bit more of a balanced uptick, honestly, like I don't want there to be a hiring frenzy, despite that's kind of like how we make money. Yeah. You know, we, we're looking for sort of sensible, sustainable growth with our customers. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I, do th- I do think that the numbers have improved, the sentiments in improving overall confidence is improving and i think it's just a lot of people had written 2023 off they're like let's just like let's just survive and then we'll see what everyone else does obviously driven partially by rates increases and other kind of macro events but yeah on that note we haven't really sort of discussed that but like you know now rates seem to be stabilizing Mm -hmm. not necessarily going to go anywhere what does that what does that mean for you guys in terms of your ability to lend and make lending realistic for startups and scale-ups. It's so interesting because the interest rate, like everyone everyone feels it on both sides because we're all usually like and playing a lot of different parts of the system here. For example, on the banking side, as a client, 
you can get some really great rates on your money just holding it at SVB. You know, you can liquidate and fill at any time. Right now, we're offering like four or sorry, five point one percent interest on on funds, and like there are no restrictions around it. So that's really great. Yeah. But on the yeah. other hand, all of our loans at the early stage, especially pretty much all of our loans, the interest rate structure is a spread over the prime rate, and the prime rate is so high right mm-hmm. now. So when I started at SVB like five years ago, we were just looking at a completely different structure, like just a different range. I'll put it that way. So I would say as long as you're getting both sides of it, as long as you're making sure that your money is working for you and the runway is extending via utilizing all these interest rates, then I think you can maybe stomach the high interest rates on the debt. And I work with such early stage clients that a lot of them haven't yet secured debt before. So they're just getting Mm -hmm. on the interest rates there. Yeah, I mean, if you if you raise ten million and you don't burn through that stupidly, or if you raise twenty, right, and you park half, then you're getting five point one percent on that cash is what you're offering now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and so I should be clear here for anyone who's actually who's interested, and I'm, I'm happy to speak to anyone about it, whether or not you're looking to move anything or make any decisions. I'm always happy to talk about it. But the way SPV does it is that when you're working with four million dollars or less, we have those kind of like pre-packaged. Uh, products and like one I just mentioned. If you're working with mm-hmm. more than that, we have cash sweeps and other products. Um, we have quite an array. That's one of the silver linings of everything that happened in March. We have a much more robust offering for liquidity management, depending on what you're interested in and what you're prioritizing. And then when you get to like 20 million or more, we have teams that they can set up an entire an entire strategy for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So one of the things I wanted to t- talk about is that, because I think some of the people that we speak with, founders, CFOs, um, COOs, there'd be, everyone's kind of trying to preserve cash and extend runway. Yeah. Are you still, is there still plenty of like venture debt offering going on? Yeah. I think one thing that it's no- notable in the title is that venture debt is really specific to raising venture rounds, which I know I've spoken about before. So it's typically secured right alongside a venture capital round. If, if it's not venture capital, we think we've done it before from like corporate venture firms and strategic investors, but especially at the early stage, it's usually a traditional traditional venture capital firm giving you one to $10 million. And then we would issue about 30% of that in the form of SVB debt alongside it. Of course, for raises higher than 10 million, that you know that's available as well but people are usually adding other things like lines of credit and just maybe it's a little bit more complex so but that's pretty much how it goes i have a long list of other options people can go for whether it's like accounts receivable factoring or other alternative lenders but the fact of the matter is mm-hmm. it's tough at the early stage to get a good deal from a lender it's just you're going to get like yep. terms you know and we can offer i think great terms with venture debt because we're underwriting to the support of your investor syndicate and their ability to follow on and support in the downside scenario. So that's why I think venture debt works so well. I started my career underwriting venture debt. I'm a big fan of just the model of it, but it's not everyone. And so we try to help people by utilizing card programs and other things and making their money work for them in high interest rate environments. But you're options for reasonable financing at the early stage are unfortunately 
on the lower side. And then the irony of it all is you can get the best debt deals when you when you need it the least. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it works, right? I remember when, <laughs> similar to me, when I moved to the US, I could not export my credit score from the UK to the US. Oh so I started, and that's when I needed credit. I was like furnishing a house and buying two cars and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah, that's the way, chicken and egg always with the startups. That's how it is with everything in startups. It's like, oh, we'll invest once you get some revenues, but I can't get revenues until I have some go-to-market <laughs> strategy. And it's just the, the yeah. journey to product market fit has a lot of obstacles. I'm very impressed by every founder's ability to manage that. Yeah, it is a grind. Yeah, I think it's, you know, beg, steal, borrow, pivot, uh, char charge for one thing, build another thing in the background, credit cards, family, friends. Yeah, yeah. it's finding any any edge is kind of part of the key. I do think a lot of founders are so bogged down with product market fit and or revenue model and or you know, scaling a team and managing a team, that finding ways of being efficient capital and, as you said, like making money work is kind of a secondary sometimes. Yeah. I think the fact you guys are like pushing that in front of them and educate, probably quite a lot of what you guys are doing is educating. Yeah, I love talking about this because it's just like, understandably, if you're a technical founder, why would you know all the ins and outs of this? Whereas I studied it and have that's all I think about. So I have to remember that, especially when I'm talking to founders who are doing actually everything, that something that's the most top of mind to me is super low of, of many things on their to-do list. So I just like to make sure every time I speak to someone, it's, you know, it's potent with valuable information so that it sinks in and over time it becomes top of mind. But my way of going about it is talking about things sometimes ridiculously early because it can't hurt to know that these things exist. Yeah, no, very true. Yeah, I think I do understand why some investors really prefer like two or three founders because you know you can have that one person focusing purely on one focusing purely on go to market growth revenue and one on maybe finance and ops that can kind of be thinking about all this stuff. But yeah, especially once institutional money comes in, we've seen an uplift here. What have you seen in terms of you know any uplift on deal activity in the say Q three Q four? I would say I've had a couple of clients raise in the past couple of months. And we've had, when you're looking at the Texas landscape, we've had a couple of substantial raises. One client of mine raised 14 million in August. And so, and that was a series A. What stage? Series A. Series okay, very good. So that's pretty big for a Texas series A. Yep. Yeah. There's things going on. I've just been hearing from my research team more and more that at the earliest stage, I think there will remain there'll be a little bit more of a slowdown towards the end of the year. Also, that just happens at the end of the year towards the holidays. And my guess would be like Q1 of next year, people are really going to like shake it off and get back to a true uptick. That would be lovely. Um, yeah, would I think um, it would be. It would be, it would be lovely. Just, just because I think everybody's a bit bored of this kind of environment. Like no. I think it's fine to be fine to be more cautious fine to be a bit more pragmatic, fine to not be, you know, going hell for leather with cheap money. I, I genuinely think that like the correction is a good thing. I think it's too much too soon, too too much too quickly. I think it should have been more staggered. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, the answer to being successful is not hiring thousands of people, you know, and so I think what's happened is fine. I just think it's got to extreme. We need to just yeah, it'd be nice to see some some more movement and and the deals that are happening 
what subsector of SaaS are they? Do you, do you see like where's kind of the interest going? That's a good question. And I'm not sure I could answer it without being super skewed towards just Austin. Yeah. I would. But like in terms of like, is it security or health tech or is it generative AI? Cause obviously that went mad earlier in the year. Yeah. I think when, when I think of cybersecurity, I think more of San Antonio. So that's always popular around here and health tech. I think of Houston, there was actually yesterday, I think an announcement or last week that general catalyst is acquiring a big health system. And it's quite, I don't know if you saw that super ambitious, but it's a big play in the health, in the health tech space. Oh, um, I didn't see that. Yeah, I would say like cloud tools in Austin, like very SF kind of things, just cloud tool related. It, it's interesting because you said that CFOs tend to slash those tools more often, but I feel like a lot of the investors I talk to are interested in fintech and like enterprise tools. Yeah, I think, well, the bit I would say, I think enterprise tools, yes, like if you can automate or improve, say, FP&A or, you know, revenue, revenue accounting. You know, if you can make the, the big areas we've seen a double down on hiring this year have been sales. So obviously acquiring revenue and then finance FP&A revenue yeah. accounting. So organizing where that goes and how it's allocated and, and reconciling it. Product and like product and innovation and risk essentially has taken a back seat this year in terms of hiring from what we have seen. And then obviously we track kind of demand and buyer sentiment for SaaS tools and where money's going. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's not necessarily the enterprise tooling that's taken a hit. It's more collaboration or, you know, things that were very hot in 2020 and 21, like, you know, how to make your staff more engaged when they're remote. And the CFO is just going to come along and say, yeah, we don't need a staff quiz platform yeah. that can go. That would be saturated at this point like old saturated and just a, a nice to have where yeah. it's you know the vitamins have been cut the painkillers have been backed and that's kind of like a very basic way of putting it what have you just on a personal level what have you enjoyed most about this year well that's a good question thank you for asking one thing i wanted to add that it's been on my mind unrelated to this question and then i'll hop into that is speaking of generative ai i i think some someone told me recently that their client had AI in their name and they're taking it out. So I think it's really interesting, speaking of like this frenzy and the most recent one being AI related, that some people, I know founders who are super happy that they happen to be in that space during this wave and some that mm -hmm. kind of want to separate themselves from it because they don't want to attract the wrong kind of attention. So I think that's really interesting. Like even if you're, I know it's great to sometimes be like at the crest of a wave, but I think some founders would argue that it's nice to be more like the stable, interesting, but not like the headline making sector because you never know. Some people, it just may attract the wrong kind of frenzy sometimes. So that I found very interesting that someone was going as far as to take that out of their name. Um, and then as far as what I'm most excited about this year, I mean, I'm always thinking about like the SVB journeys. I'm super excited about the silver lining that has come from this and the opportunity that it's given me to rethink about how we're spending our time and energy. And there's been such a renewed sense of motivation within SVB. All of my colleagues and I are just so happy to still be doing this. Like we have such an appreciation for the opportunity to be working with early stage founders, not only because there was a moment where we thought maybe this could go away, 
but also because now more than ever, I think founders need all the help they can get. It's times like this and not times of frothiness that we can be the most helpful. And what I love about SVB is it's very what you make of it. So we're basically, you know, given a true north, but we can get there however we want. And so I spend a lot of my time just speaking with founders and being like, what do you need? And how can I like leverage all that I have with this platform to get you closer to what you need and where you want to go? Yeah. No, that's great. I think like it's a good mentality, right? That's like, yeah, in, in good times, it's it's easy to just um, rest on your laurels. But when things, when you get a, a shake up or, a, you know, an unwanted kick up the backside, it can be a very good thing to reassess and kind of refocus. What, aside from capital, what are the things that founders typically come to you asking for? Like, obviously capital, yeah. then what? Well, of course, nowadays, more than ever, it's so interesting. Like the moment, speaking of capital really quickly, the moment that things take a turn, people, I get an influx of emails in my inbox about debt, which is very much related to capital. But often it'll, in more times of optimism, it'll be talks about their raise and how I can help them with their raises. And then in times where things are looking a little more bleak, it's the same question, but more about debt and where they can get it and SVB's offering. And what I love about SVB is it doesn't matter the sentiment, like we'll be offering the same thing no matter what. The way our model is set up and the way that our products are priced and just built, we're not going to like run away in times of darkness. So I like that. But as far as other things that I get a lot of questions from founders is, and something I'm very passionate about at the early stage is for those who don't come from families where entrepreneurial, entrepreneurism is super popular, yeah. Um, and super known. They just want to know, like, what should I be thinking about? Who should I be talking to? Like, who is it important to know? In Austin, it's pretty easy. You can, honestly, you can write the landscape of this ecosystem down in an email, which I think is really cool. And I've done that to people before. They're like, I'm new to town. What do I need to know? And I'm like, here are all the organizations you need to know. This one's new. This one's old. These are people. This one's just, you know, switched leadership boards. So there's things like that. I think, obviously, as a founder, the last thing on your mind is, that kind of stuff. So I got a lot of questions about just the ecosystem, how to manage it, how to, when you're in Austin, make sure that you're not pigeonholing yourself to this region and also focusing on like getting out to the coasts. And just, I think it's a big, it's a big question of like your use of your time. So I get a lot of questions about hiring, investor introductions, what events to go to, that kind of thing. And those are super easy mm -hmm. for us. It's all we, we're, you know, we're in that every day. Yeah, I think super helpful. I think I can, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a different sort of position, even though like we are part of the Austin ecosystem. We have lots of customers in Austin, but we're more naturally like our business is to know who's who and who's doing what. So kind of similar to you in a sense of being like a, a sort of conduit between businesses and operators and startups and investors. But I think I can see how that could be super helpful. It, if you're a super technical founder and you're, yes. you know, it's your first time starting or you've moved to the region and it's kind of knowing where to start is, exactly. is quite tricky. Especially when your head's down. I think one mistake, not mistake, it's totally understandable is that when you're building something, you don't really want to go out and do things. So often I talk to clients and prospects, they tell me what they, they need. They're like, I have this really specific need or this person I need to hire. I have this like hiccup and I could really use a connection in this space. And I'm like, 
I will keep this in mind and then I'll probably bump into someone in two weeks that you need to know at something and I will connect you. And that's usually how it goes. I'm like, tell me something that sounds ridiculous. In two weeks, I'll <laughs> yeah. random email in your inbox in two weeks that's related to this when it clicks. That's funny. Yeah, Austin is definitely like that. It can be quite, I agree, the more you put yourself out there, yeah. there's kind of like a nice serendipitous opportunistic environment at times. I think that's the best part about Austin because it's so uncomfortably small. You bump elbows with everyone, even at the supermarket. It doesn't matter where you are. You'll run into someone, whether you want to see people or not. And I think it's really great for innovation. But again, I like to do that for people when they don't have the means or the time to do it for themselves. Yeah. Did you get, when you had your event, it was like, I couldn't make it, but it was the event. It was it out east. It was yeah. a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Did it was on the east. Side. Quite a few people, like a few founders and get themselves away from yeah, their computer. Yeah, we had like 100 people. Like biggest mistake was that it was so hot. I was like sweating through my clothes like a minute in. It was such a mistake to do it outside. And was that like, it was September, but it was like the first week of September. It was atrociously hot. Yeah. That was my number one takeaway. But it was still, despite that, so many people came. And we were really careful about who we invited. Just we wanted to make sure that it was truly as advertised, like truly founders, mm-hmm. ones that are active. Because, you know, Life is crazy and sometimes you're not as active on things and, and things may be a side project, but we really tried to focus on those who are like really active founders and investors, especially in a time like this when sometimes people have slowed to a stop. We wanted to make sure it was really worth everyone's time. So it was about 100 people and I got so many messages after that were like, I met this person and I'm really happy I did. And some people I would message beforehand and I was like, look for this person. They here's their LinkedIn. This is exactly who you want to meet. And if they didn't, I would connect them afterwards. And if they did, I got to hear the story of how they connected. It was just like, I was, we try to be super, super deliberate. If we're going to work, you know, if we're going to have an event and ask people to take the time I, with every event, I get more and more honed in, like more specific about making sure that it's a good use of people's time. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. We did an event last May and it was when it went from like 80 to like 98 overnight on the day um of the event and I, it's funny the day of is a big day for invites somehow like it's, <laughs> a lot of people share that share the information of the day up yeah yeah absolutely well i'm glad yeah i'm glad that went well i think i'm noticing more of those things happening do you guys do much during south by and that's definitely top of mind right now we had a huge event planned last year but south by was the weekend that everything happened with svb so oh. that didn't end up happening but yeah this is the time when people are inking the plans for South by. So I have some ideas. I'm really liking partnering with VCs right now, especially when people want to hear from investors. And it's a little bit of an uncomfortable time. And sometimes investors can be, can seem elusive to early stage founders. So my goal is to get angel investors and investor syndicates, ideally some family offices and definitely VC firms all together with founders around South by, but also many times before that. So we'll send you invites as well. But we are very, very close with the venture capital firms here in Austin. We we issue venture debt to a lot of their portfolio companies. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I've only been to one South by and similar to you. I first moved to Austin. It was like, oh, no, I'm too busy. And then I think then it was COVID. And so I went a lot. Oh, no, it's, it's tough. I'll continue sending things your way. I know it's a tough. <laughs> no, I'm, it's I'm tough. trying it's to be... Yeah, trying to be just disciplined about doing X number of kind of things a month and actually just being 
in front of people or enjoy it. It's just um, the guilt. The guilt gets a hold of me, and I'm like, oh, I should just be at my desk. Good. Right. So it's capital raising, debt financing, or venture debt. You know, who's who, and how do I land? I think to sort of wrap up, like any critical advice you have for founders, you know, gearing up for seed or post seed and gearing up for Series A. Like these are the guys. These are the people that you talk to on a daily basis. What's your kind of advice to them, uh, any of them listening at the moment? Because we talk to lots yeah. of the same people, right? Like it's founders at seed stage. They've just got four or $5 million. They want to build out a team. They want to go mad. They want to hire a bunch of VPs. And we're like, no, 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 slow down. You know, that that's for Series A time. Calm down. Let's just carry on as you are. You know, mm-hmm. well, they, they just get a little bit, sometimes it's the opposite. Like they either go too gung-ho with hiring and plans or they are scared of what to do so they have like this trepidation around how to allocate their capital what are the things that you see in here and what advice will you give them yeah i spend a lot of my time talking to those who are looking to raise once they raise hopefully they raise a substantial series a and we pass them along to the next uh, team at svb because there's a team for every life stage but so for those who are looking to raise one of the things i see the most is just a, a little bit of a lack of a plan i think people want to be opportunistic so they don't want to uh, they don't want to limit themselves by saying, I'm, I'm looking to raise this much and because they think maybe I can get more, maybe plans will change, or I can get less from a great investor and do that. But I think it's really great to have conviction and say, I'm looking for this tight range of money. This is what we're going to do with it over this amount of time. Maybe there's a couple of different ways that could go. And if you're just really clear about what you're going to do with it, that comes across way better. Probably the number one thing I see is like, a big range, like one to five million or something crazy, where it's like that changes the entire thing. And I understand wanting to keep your options open, but there's a couple things that will like turn off an investor from day one. And I've been hearing that range is a big one. Not saying what you're going to do with it, just like the simplest questions, like how much do you want? What are you going to do with it? You know, what does your general timeline look like? Your projection? Of course, they can change, but have some. And then also, one really interesting one is at the early stage, Maybe you have a team that's like you and one other person and you or two other people, but if you don't have like a clear saying as to like who is the CEO or clear division of roles, that can also be really appear as disorganized. So things like that, they seem obvious, but they're easy traps to fall into. So things like that. Also feel free to send your deck to people like myself because I am happy to just tell you as a non non-technical person in your space, this is how it comes across. And there are sometimes blind spots. So things like that. Seem obvious, but it can't hurt to think about. Then once you have the funds, I would say make sure you have a place to put them before the check is coming because we get a lot of people saying, I have this really great round finally coming in. I am in a rush to open accounts. And if you have like a fintech company or a marketplace, every bank, almost every provider is going to tell you that they have like a lot of compliance questions for you. So just make sure you have that all set up. Then if you can convey to your investors that you have a couple of great places to put that cash, I will say, I'm obviously I'm, I work on behalf of SVB, but now we live, we're in an environment where it's good to have maybe two providers. Have one that's your primary bank that has everything set up. We have a lot of clients that SVB is their primary bank. They have everything like auto set up through there, but for optics and also so that everyone can sleep at night just in this world that we're in, it can't hurt to have like one other bank. I know maybe I'm you know, not technically supposed to say that, but we're, we're all thinking this. It's just how it is. I graduated in 2005, was working in the finance industry for a few years back in the counterparty risk became a big thing. 
after Lehman and various other banks. So I think, yeah, just spread, spreading out the risk is obviously more admin, but I would say, yeah, you should probably have at least two banking providers. So exactly. It doesn't have to be like 50-50 spread across both of them, but just to have other things going on. Speaking of that, yeah, I think those are pretty much it. And then having a couple of devices set up, like just making sure that you talk to someone like a liquidity advisor at SVB, we have liquidity advisors. They'll talk to you at any, any level of money to tell you the different options. And they'll say, once you hit this amount, you're going to want to look at this product, start with this product and add the cash to after. Specifically when you're talking about the difference between having 250K and more than 250K, because the FDIC covers 250,000 per company at each bank. So once you're over that amount, you may want to look at cash sweep products that will sweep those funds out to other holdings, other banks, other securities, treasuries, those kinds of things. So these are things to think about. Just have have everything buttoned up and it's you don't have to wait until things are in motion to, to do this. I'm happy to talk to anyone about it, whether or not you're looking to move. Yeah. Um, I hope that doesn't come across as too salesy. No, I think with this kind of subject matter, I think people need to be given firm advice and I think people need to be told to get buttoned up and organized. You said that there, there's a whole bunch of compliance type stuff. What, what are the things that people need to do to get prepared for that final point? You know, it's kind of a fairly dry one, but I think it's quite important. Yes, I know it can be so dry, but to be honest, the questions that we ask are all questions you are going to want to know the answer to as a company. Someone else is going to ask you them too. We're not going to be the only one, yeah. but no matter what you're doing, the main question, depending on what you do or your business model or the sectors that you're adjacent to, we may have more in-depth questions about this, but we're always going to want to know, like, no matter who your client is, how are you, how are you enacting KYC or the know your, know your client requirement? Um, what information are you collecting about them and how do you stay on top of any changes on their side? And then also the flow of funds through your entire business model, end to end from the beginning of your operations or top of the funnel to the bottom, however you want to call it. Where are the funds flowing through? What are the third parties you're using? Are you using payment processors? I'm sure you likely are. Many people are these days. So uh, gotcha. if you can even have a diagram, that's really great too. Just especially if you have anything somewhat complex, having a diagram being like the funds th- flow through here, 80% of them move forward, 20% of them are held back in a fee or float cash or whatever your model, you know, utilizes whatever you do. And then having just a sense of the money where it flows through, who those people are, how much do you know about all those third parties? Do you have agreements with them? Do you have those agreements on hand? Someone will likely ask for them. We don't always need to know these things right away. If you're not even launched yet, you can just give us as much information as you have and say, I'll know more by this time. And I'll definitely know by, no, know more by the time we launch. And we'll open accounts for you and just stay on top of it. Then finally, anti-money laundering very much goes along with flow of funds. But how are you ensuring that everything is up to you know, up to code and make sure that and that all falls within the flow of funds and knowing your clients. But if you have a fintech practice, are you using your own in-house anti-money laundering policy or do you, are you outsourcing it to a third party, which many, most people do at the early stage? Okay. So those are the highlights. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Like, I think everyone should just document documentation is important. You need it. If you're going through a raise anyway, you're going to need a data room. You're going to need to have all your agreements in place, all your service providers. You probably should just have, as you say, a diagram of funds. I don't even think about that. Yeah, we, we collect money through Stripe or HubSpot, which is, which is built on Stripe, and we collect payments that way. Yeah, I think there's some people have very complicated ways of 
especially for, as you say, if you're a fintech or payments uh, technology company, it's gonna you're going to be relying on other people's infrastructures to collect money. So I guess that makes total sense. Yeah, it's good. I think I think the main thing is you. I think everyone's become quite, and I'll, I'd include myself here. Everyone's become quite, you know, not jittery, but things change so quickly no one wants to commit to something because the next week you could look stupid right and the world's changed and it's like oh yeah we don't want five million we want two or we don't want ten we want five but i think you're right i think conviction is important investors want to see it don't they yeah absolutely and if you're interested in more kind of like do's and don'ts i love the y combinator podcast feed they have some hilarious stories the, the most recent one i listened to was like everything we learned from like all, all the things that we wouldn't do that we've done before from investor conversations or uh, oh, like yeah. investor lights and horror stories and things like that. And one of the things I saw, the range component of having a range, that's just something that I see, but the CEO and having a division of roles, that's something that comes up a lot when investors hop on the Y Combinator podcast feed. A lot of them will say like, that's something we, we have to see that you've given this some thought. So if you want anything more along the lines of that, check out that feed. I think it's really funny and just like punchy, great stuff. This is the Y Combinator podcast. Yeah. I, I think um, we can all agree that Y Combinator will have far brand. more potent brand and, and listeners. But yeah, no, all good. I, I actually never listened to it. Yeah, I did actually watch a video of theirs yesterday. Their CFO was talking about the mechanics of a safe and it was very, very good. Some diversity of content. For sure. Well, look, Monica, thank you very, very much. Third time lucky or fourth time lucky we got it done. <laughs> um, very, very helpful. That's kind of one of our brand pillars is to be helpful. Um, and everything we try to do with our customers and with the talent community and people in the technology ecosystem is like we want to be a helpful place and a helpful resource. And um, you've added to that. So thank you very much. Yeah, right. we'll, we'll make sure that like as we distribute this and we're talking to founders at the pre-seed siege stage gearing up for series a like we'll make sure that we channel them towards you and uh, yeah look thank you so much once again for joining us thank you so much for your time i'm super excited to be just a small part of your journey and, and watch you guys succeed thank you monica good one thanks thanks so much for listening to this episode of breakout if you want to hear more make sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to be the first to get notified when future episodes are released if you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave a review so we can keep improving and share the word with other leaders in the tech talent space. If you have suggestions for topics we should cover, please feel free to reach out to either myself or Gareth. Yeah.